Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag NBA. Butler baseline, step back for the win, and he is fouled. He is fouled, Jimmy Butler, and he'll go to the line. Jimmy Butler got fouled and a chance to win it at the free throw line with no time left on the clock. I have seen everything. (laughs) For the win at the free throw line. Got it to go. Oh, it rolled on off the front of the rim and down and in. I thought it was going to pop out. Oh, my goodness. Jimmy trying to make it two, and he does, and that is the ball game. Westbrook with a deflection, poked it right back to Gilgis Alexander. He finds Dort, shoots for three, blocked by Harden. Jordan picks it back up, tried to throw it back off to James, and it went out of bounds with five-tenths of a second to go. Offensively, I feel like, excuse my language, but I couldn't make a shot. There's James Harden after the Rockets win Game 7. They beat the Thunder 104-102. He couldn't make a shot, PK, but he got a block when they really needed it. And they are moving on to play the Lakers. Game 7s, they're not supposed to be pretty. They're a battle. And the Rockets got through it. Well, just to be accurate, you know, coming from the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism, he could make a shot. He didn't make many of them, but he could make a shot. 4 of 15, 1 of 9 from 3. And then he had those, yeah, so that was four shots that he made. So you know, there's other ways to win ball games, and other guys were shooting okay, and Dort was out of his mind. I mean, what a great story <laughs> to be a, an unrestricted free agent, and undrafted, unbelievable, unreal, unprecedented. Uh, let's see. 30 points, the Rockets had decided they were not going to defend him. They were going to play five on four, and if he got open three-pointers, so be it. And he was six and 12. <laughs> 30, yeah, good 30 good point story game. for the young man here that uh, no one drafted him. Two, two rounds of NBA draft, and here he is starting. Uh, had the game of his life. Good for him. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it was an interesting, entertaining game. Went right, going right down to the end there. Harden with the huge block. I thought the calls, both of the calls in the Heat-Bucks games were just ridiculous. Wasn't it weird that we were sitting here 24 hours ago talking about how physical the second half of the Jazz game was? Hey, I once Gobert figured, hey, I just got I just got fouled. I just got raked here, and they didn't call anything, so I'm just going to go down and just saddle up their big guy and ride Jokic all the way to the hoop and foul him like three times in five seconds. And then the next night, that was the, the on the three-pointer, that wasn't a foul. Goran Dragic was there. His feet were set. His arms were straight in the air. He didn't move. That was your that was, referee guy said it was though. Yeah, he's wrong. <laughs> I, was, I couldn't believe it. That is not a foul. Those, those guys are worthless. Gonna, it's like Van Gundy. No coach has ever been anything less than brilliant. And this referee, ex-referee, they're all right. Come on. And onto the Kempo touched him. I mean, that's the very definition of a touch foul. I know, jump shooter in the air, protect him. I wouldn't have called either. End of the game. Well, I mean, they canceled each other out, so that's why the Bucks didn't have much of an argument there. It's just the not Bucks. what we want to see. Uh, well, as long as they're going to cancel each other out, I do. I can live with it. It's just like a little wink. I, I mean, I once had a uh, 
referee to Steve Cleveland's like two minutes into the game. The referee runs by and they had to call the several fouls. And Steve is arguing. The referee says, relax, relax, man. There's 38 minutes to go. I was like, we'll, we'll take care of this. I mean, I, that's that's not an, maybe not an exact quote, but it is absolutely close enough to be uh, representative of what the referee was saying. Yeah, that's what he was telling him. It's the message. Yeah, this will this will even out. Don't worry about it. We just barely got started here, so they did even out. I just don't think the Bucks. I know you've been talking about the Bucks as winning a title. I, I just I don't think they're even close to it. Best regular season record, but it is not translating in the postseason. They are down two games to none now. Yeah, and I don't. It's not like I think the Heat are a great team. I I just outside of Ant's combo, I just don't really see a whole lot on that Bucks team. Raptors and Celtics. Boston's up 2-0, trying to make it 3-0 today. That's at 4:30. Nuggets and Clippers. Game one of their second round series tonight, seven o'clock on TNT. Michael Porter Jr. in advance of that series said the Clippers passed on drafting him twice because LA's team doctor thought I would never play basketball again. He'd had back surgery. Uh, at Missouri, and and actually had to sit out a bunch of games of the Nuggets too. So, at both the college and pro level, he's done some sitting over the course of two well, almost two years yeah. as a pro. Well, I mean that that those are things that you have to consider when you draft them. So, uh, who's to say the Clippers are wrong? Just because he's played a few games this year, does that make him wrong? May not. You know, we don't know what the future holds. And he it's had so many hoop. injuries that even if it turns out to be the wrong decision, it still wasn't a terrible decision. Well, it's not who you don't take, it's who you take. The NBA has warned playoff teams that they have to maintain order among ownership, front office executives, and player guests sitting courtside at the playoff games in Disney Wide World of Sports Complex. The NBA has concerns that voices may be carrying and could be picked up on TV microphones. There have been isolated occasions when front office executives could be heard loudly disagreeing with the officials. I want a camera streaming at all times. I want to see who it is. I want to know. I couldn't care less. Marcus Morse gets fined 35 grand for that flagrant foul on Luka Doncic. Doncic gets fined $15,000 for throwing a ball at the legs of a game official. No suspension for Morris, though, so 35 grand. Is that like uh, we had $70,000, $75,000 now in fines here over the last couple of games? But no, uh, no suspensions in the bubble. The league is woke. Of course they weren't going to suspend Morris. After the first one, I figured they wouldn't suspend him or this one either. Why not? At this point, at this point you can do anything and just pay the fine. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. You know, what I was trying to say back then, admittedly, I uh, probably wasn't as clear as I would have liked to have been. Um, but what I wanted to say then, what I what I would echo again now, is that uh, while the virus does not give me a great amount of personal fear, um, you know, there's still great reason for me to engage in wearing a mask and social distancing and, you know, washing my hands as frequently as I can and, and, and following protocols that have been set in place. Uh, obviously, to be respectful and considerate of other people, uh, which is very important. That's Kirk Cousins cleaning things up after his "If I die, I die" comments. But he's going to wear the mask and protect other people. So you got that going for you. 
That free speech is alive and well as long as it's the right free speech, that's for sure. If I die, I die. Well, yeah, if you die, you die. I mean, there's risk involved in everything. I mean, essentially, that's what he was saying. Some people, you can... I, I, that That's sort of the way I feel. That doesn't mean I'm not adhering to all the stuff that you're supposed to do. But not everyone wants to just stay at home. That is a true story. And he's at the age group that his chances of dying are very, very slim. And especially if he has no underlying conditions, and if he's got no people around him with underlying conditions, then it really... Uh really becomes a different But deal. that doesn't mean you need to, you don't adhere to the protocols. Right. Of course you do. So the on-field news, Leonard Fournette just let go, released by Jacksonville, clears waivers, signs with the Bucks. The future is now in Tampa Bay. They give Leonard Fournette a one-year deal. Well, that'll be interesting to see because Tom Brady has never really had a big-time back. I mean, Corey Dillon, he's had a few guys that are pretty good. And if you're in the NFL, obviously you're pretty good. But the point being that when he was doing all this great stuff that he did, I don't think that they were uh, necessarily a ground-oriented team. So what caliber of running back do you need? Do you need a great Derrick Henry running back? Or do you need somebody who can do what all these things that you need them to do? and be successful. Now, obviously, in, in New England, that's what they had. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Tampa Bay as far as how they approach the offense. And Bruce Arians is known as a great quarterback coach, so you would think that they would put Fournette in positions to succeed, not necessarily to succeed as this great all-pro type running back that we think of traditionally. So I think there's a couple things there. Is he, uh, you know, a thousand yard back and all that? He went uh, for almost 1,200 yards last he year. He did, he did. But I would think the more important thing is, you know, and and he's, I mean, he's a big guy. You know, he's 225, pushing 230, listed weight, and you never know how close that is to the truth. But he's a six footer, and so when you get short yardage, you know, you can drive 79 yards down the field and you get a field goal. You get that 80th yard. You get that last yard. You get four more points. So is he going to be really good in short yardage situations? And I know that's partly on the line, too. It's the ultimate team game and all that stuff. But when you hear they're getting a big back, you're thinking maybe he's lost a step. And so maybe the big runs aren't there. But if he's going to convert third and one, and if he's going to get them in the end zone when they're down inside the five-yard line, then he's totally worth it. Chargers' Anthony Lynn announced Justin Herbert, Oregon rookie, the rookie out of Oregon, sixth overall pick in the draft, will be the backup. Tyrod Taylor will be the team's starting quarterback for now. Okay, he didn't say for now, but PK, aren't we all thinking? Right now is what he For said. now. Yeah, right now. How many weeks you give it? Well, you've had anything from a few weeks to three years in the case of Red Favre, so I can't really say. I'll establish the over-under at eight. Which side do you want to come down on? Eight's about the number, I'm thinking. Midway through the season, it'll happen. I mean, it's the NFL. It could happen because of injury in game one, but... Well, we've also seen veterans who are around and around and around, and they get in the right situation, and they play fairly well. So last year. Tannehill, Fitzpatrick. Washington coach Ron Rivera says Dwayne Haskins will be the team's starting quarterback. Kyle Allen is the backup. Alex Smith has not yet taken snaps in full pads during a full team practice situation after turning from a gruesome leg injury. So, 
Third third yeah. string for now for Alex Smith. You think it's going to happen for him? Do I think it's going to happen? Is that what you asked me? Yeah, is he going to play again? I don't think so. I don't think he's going to be a starter. I think that, in particular in this team uh, with the Haskins, uh, Allen was with Rivera down there in Carolina last year, interestingly enough. And so he played a little bit uh, in place of Newton. But it seems to me that Haskins is was your high pick two years ago, and he's going to play. You're going to develop, try, try to develop him, see what you got there. And Allen's a young kid himself, but I wouldn't think that Alex Smith would get much time out on the field. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Honestly, it's a... Uh... It's an emotional topic. You know, Matt Bushman is one of the greatest guys that I've ever met, one of the greatest players that I've ever played with. And for him to go through what he's going through, I kind of feel him in a sense because I've had a, a major injury. But for him to be a senior, for him to be going through this right now, it's tough. And uh, a lot of us seniors and a lot of us players, we're just trying to do anything and everything we can to be there for him during this time. That's BYU defensive back Troy Warner talking about Matt Bushman. And BYU's star tight end, leading receiver a year ago, and he's out with an Achilles before the first game. That's awful. I mean, there's nothing more you need to say on that. Uh, you just hope that he comes back and, and you hear about Matt Bushman when he's getting paid big money. And if that's the case, he'll never get back this season. Obviously, this season is a goner for him. But if he can recover and get back and have an opportunity to play in the NFL, it could still have a pretty good ending, but for the interim time, it, it sucks. sucks on every level. Yeah, absolutely. But hopefully he gets back and, and he gets to play in the NFL. Right. Georgia, Jamie Newman, expected to be the starting quarterback, but he has opted out of the season due to COVID-19 concerns. He was a grad transfer from Wake Forest. Expected to play, and uh, you know, going from Wake Forest to Georgia, you figure you're going to be surrounded by a little more talent, and the scouts are going to have more confidence in you because they're going to see you playing against SEC football at the highest level and all that. But uh, he's decided not to go, and that means that JT Daniels, the former USC quarterback, is now expected to be the starter. Expect big things out of JT Daniels at Georgia? Uh, a couple of things. Newman will play in the NFL. Uh, he'll get drafted. He'll have the opportunity to play in the NFL. That was, Let's just put it there. That was why it's bolster the draft yeah. prospects, right? So, yeah, I think he's rated like the sixth, seventh best yeah, quarterback. Yeah, he's top so ten. Yeah. His, his time will come. That's a surprising decision. I don't know what uh, beyond that. I just take it at face value. Uh, Daniels, you know, he had the high rep and played a little, played his freshman year, and then we know he got hurt. Uh, didn't play at all last year. You know, we've heard that uh, Fields from Ohio State's been hanging around Georgia's practices. <laughs> so <laughs> it would be interesting to see if that, that would determine that. But, you know, I hope for – I don't really care if Daniels is good or not. What I care about is he's healthy. And then he has the opportunity to be good or not. And then it's up to him that he can – do what he does but it's it's a crazy crazy story you know things happen so unexpectedly because he was all that right coming out of modern day there in in orange county and going up to sc and starting as a freshman and you think okay he's going to play his three years to go to the nfl and be really really good and then he gets hurt you think all the trojans are screwed and now they got slovis who looks like he's better than daniels (laughs) (laughs) just you know i think the point here is whatever your situation is, stay with it. You know, and, and with Daniels, he didn't stay with SC. But I mean, you know, do your rehab and all, and you'll get opportunities if you keep knocking on the door, man. 
and stay with it. It's a life lesson, and these kids are learning it at a young age. So, I mean, I guess I hope he does well. It doesn't really concern me either way, but I, I want to make sure that he's healthy enough to have the opportunity to do well. That, that would be something. Iowa State announced a plan Monday to allow 25,000 fans to attend its September 12 home opener against Louisiana. Now reversed course and will no longer allow fans. And the school cited feedback from the community in announcing its decision. Well, 25 seemed like a big number. I don't know what the stadium holds. I think think it's about 70 because the Utes played there like 2009 or something like that, 2010. I, I remember something about like there were 67,000 there or something. I mean, it's a big facility, but Jack you're right. Price Stadium. It still seemed like a big number. And I'm surprised that they're going to no fans. You're thinking, well, you're, you'll, you'll allow right. 10,000 or 5,000. Shouldn't we just call that uh, their opponent L? Since we call Louisiana State LSU, shouldn't we just call them L? Uh, we could. We could call them uh, we call North Carolina UNC. So they could be UL or LU. Colorado, it's called CU. Which makes no sense because it's not Colorado University. It's the University of Colorado. Well, if you call them UC, then I'm going to get confused with all the schools in California. Well, no one really cares about you, though, in the big scheme of things. I'm sorry to say that. It's true, I know though. that's a blow to you and more I'm going to need a segment off. So, but... We don't really, it doesn't really bother. You know, you wouldn't because if I just said UC, you would get confused with all the schools. UC who? (laughs) Uh, UC BYU, Monday at 6 p.m. on ESPN. You wouldn't have any idea. So that's that's what I'm talking about. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Swing in another. Fly ball deep in the air to left field. Gardner turns and looks, and that's how you answer it. A two-run homer for Mike Brasso. Four-nothing Rays in the first. The 0-1 pitch now on its way. There's a swing and a fly ball to right center field and fairly deep. Back out of this Hicks to the wall. It's a two-homer game. Mike Brasso goes oppo. And the Rays get on the other side of the slam. Five-nothing Tampa Bay. Throw 101 miles an hour in my head. I'll show you. Well, that's what happened two nights ago. But Brasso went oppo, and I can tell you, he had great velo on that. <laughs> All right. Sweet. <laughs> I only need half a word. I'll figure out the rest of the word. 5-2 the final in that one. Uh, Chapman. Uh, Three-game ban. Aaron Boone. Ray skipper Kevin Cash both suspended one game, also undisclosed fines. Why are they undisclosed fines? What's up with that? I don't know. I don't know. Tampa Bay getting the upper hand there. Mookie Betts, ninth inning, going deep to tie up the game with the Diamondbacks at one. And then in the tenth inning, Will Smith with the walk-off single. And the Dodgers beat the Diamondbacks, improved to 28-10. and 10. They are winning at a ridiculous clip, PK. Uh, that's what we anticipated. Yeah, and uh, Bueller, who was uh, hurt, had a blister. He came back. Uh, he didn't get the win because they limited his innings. He went five innings, I think. I think he only allowed two hits, six Ks. Looked really good. So, yeah, the rich get richer there. You know, I watched uh, that game in the ninth, and then it got to be around 10 o'clock. And I'm, thinking, ah, I'm not going to stay up. I'm going to go to bed. Well, I, I, I have the uh, MLB app. 
and uh, so as I was getting ready to go to bed, I just looked at it and I saw they, you know, they have the diamond and they'll have a green highlight to indicate the base runners. And I, I saw that Diamondbacks had a highlight on second base. And I thought, oh, man, that's that's good for them. The guy must have hit a leadoff double. <laughs> you I forgot. Totally forgot. Yeah, totally forgot. Totally forgot that. No, you idiot. They start with the runner on second base now. That's automatic. And I didn't figure it out till 1.30 in the morning. When did you go to sleep? I went to bed at 10. I was actually, it was about 10.30. You woke I up stay at up for the night. Yeah, I mean, I wake up three times a night. So I thought, oh, I'm up. I might as well just uh, look and see what happened. And then I saw that. And then that it was literally at 1.30 at night. I'm scrolling through my MLB app. <laughs> and then I realized, no, I start the runner on second base, you idiot. Because then they said in the Dodgers when they started with the runner on the second base. And then it dawned on me, uh, could you get with the times here? Art Shamsky is not walking through that door. Tom Seaver. Hall of Famer, New York Mets legend, played with the Reds and White Sox as well, passed away at the age of 75. Boston. Had, uh, yeah, Boston at the end of his career. Louis Body Dementia and COVID-19. Yeah, that's the same thing. Louis Body's the same thing for Coach Sloan. Yep. And the Seaver family had announced several months ago that Tom will no longer be making appearances, uh, any, any public appearances, so you knew the end was near. And he is. He's the greatest New York Met of them all. When you think of the New York Mets, you think of Tom Seaver. Although, interestingly enough, he... You, certainly, you think of Tom Seaver, you think of Mets. And when I say Carlton Fisk, who do you think of? Well, I think of Red Sox, but I know a lot of people think of White Sox. Yeah, and so when Tom Seaver won his 300th game, which is the legendary mark for all pitchers to attain... He was pitching in Yankee Stadium, and he pitched a complete game for the White Sox, and his catcher was Carlton Fisk. <laughs> Weird. So, yeah, it really is. Uh, when, you, when guys at the end of the career, same thing with Randy Johnson. I think that he got, you think of Seattle and Arizona, I think he got his 300th with the Giants. Uh, but uh, guys move around a little bit. Uh, he is one of two players, you know, the uh, Major League or Baseball Hall of Fame, I should say, they put a, a ball cap in their insignia. He's one of two Mets in the Hall of Fame that have the Met hat. You know who the other one is? Uh, I should if it's Hall of Famer, but uh, guys move around. Who would it be? Yeah, you've obviously heard the name. Yes. Ed Cranepool. He pulled out Ed Cranepool like a week ago. That was awesome. Ed Cranepool. They did interview him. I was watching Baseball Network and did a little thing on, on Tom. And they did, uh, I watched it last night, and I thought they did a yeah. lot. They had a lot of coverage on it. I mean, 300 well, wins, 3,000 strikeouts. A lot of it was repeated. It was just, yeah. uh, especially here, because for some reason MLB considers us to be in the Diamondbacks territory. So when the Diamondbacks play on MLB Network, they black it out. Ah. So then they had to play that stuff over and over again if there's not an, uh, other games, and they can only go to other games for a certain amount of time, which I think is stupid to have us. They have uh, the Rockies in Arizona, which is why I have to have the direct TV so that I can buy the package on the Sports Arizona, Fox Sports Arizona to get them, nevertheless. Uh, Mike Piazza is the other guy. Oh, there you go. And I think of him as a Dodger. But there you go. DJ and PK. Hashtag RSL. Ruiz, he'll have a go. He did it. He beat Stephen Fry. 2-2, the big left foot. Find the Oilers, 85th minute, Dunny. Oh, what an absolute ball. An 
RSL getting pretty good at playing from behind. That is the fifth time this year they've had to play from behind. And came back to get a a point, salvage a point, split the points with Seattle with that goal in the 85th minute. Pablo Ruiz kicks a ball so hard. You would never want to get hit by that. And we just saw an RSL guy uh, get hit by a ball and get a concussion, and uh, you would not want to get hit by Ruiz. That would, that would be brutal. Well, there was a loud crowd noise, man. They must have had a great crowd there, huh? They had about 4,000 people, and honestly, I thought that the truck was, like, sweetening it with sound effects. There's got to be something about the concrete and the way it rattles around. It was hard to believe. I mean, 4,000 people is less than a quarter of capacity, and it's something about the concrete or something. It was way loud. Reverberation. Reverberation. Excellent word. Or just reverb, since you're only using half of every word. Oppo, yeah. Velo, Reverb. When I was watching basketball, so I didn't see the game. I know you guys were all pumped when they won up in Portland. That's well, when they tied up in Portland, I should say. Is that the same feel here? No. No. At home, uh, against the team, they're flying in on the day of the game, which is clearly less than optimal, or somebody else would be doing it. Uh, but they're doing it to minimize time on the road and all that and try to take precautions. And so it... It really felt like they let they they had a chance to get a couple to get all three points there, and they let a couple of them get away. It wasn't, I mean, it was good because they came back and they salvaged something. But if you don't win at home in Major League Soccer, you're going to have a problem. If you're at home, you need you need to get the three points. Okay. So, so they keep giving up uh, early goals. In this case, it was a handball and a penalty, and then they're, you're playing from behind and uh, and chasing the game. So, but the the thing is, like a week ago. They were this, you know, defensively, they were outstanding. All the numbers were awesome. But where are the goals going to come from? And now they've scored 10 goals in three games. And it's everybody. The funny thing is the guy you would really think, oh, well, if they've gotten going, then Albert Rusnak has probably got, you know, a couple goals and three assists and all that. He hasn't scored in this run. So you got to figure he's going to heat up at some point. So now it's more a case of uh, you get you got to stop giving up so many goals. So. They're at Minnesota on Sunday, and they're going to have to mix up the lineup because a lot of guys have been playing a lot of minutes here as they play twice a week. And Robbie Russell isn't walking through that door. Robbie Russell is not. He's in an emergency room in Virginia treating COVID patients. He's not walking through that door. Nice pull on Robbie Russell, though. Good work. Well, Shadow Mountain High School down there in Scottsdale. Okay. Shout out. What is Trending brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. Receive a free reverse osmosis system with the purchase of any water softener at Shamrock Plumbing. 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. All right, coming up, Riley Jensen, our college football insider. It's Wednesday. we got a game on Monday. We will talk with him and Craig Bullerjack, TV voice of the Utah Jazz, to put a wrap on the season at 830. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Your big show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Ryan Russell with his playing with Carl Malone. What was that like? Well, I know I felt like a clear on the other team sometimes when I caught one of those elbows. <laughs> <laughs> but I would go through a forest fire with Carl Malone because I knew he would get the job done. When you got someone as as good as Carl Malone, he made me a better player. He made me run harder. He stayed on it just as much as Jerry Sloan did. And John Stockton, Carl Malone, and Jerry Sloan, that's the people I would want to go to war with. Catch the Big Show, presented by Mountain America Credit Union on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK is brought to you in part by Master Electrical Services. Master Electrical is always open during this challenging time. Call Master Electrical at 801 543 2222 for upfront pricing and your satisfaction is guaranteed. Master Electrical will light up your day. Master Electrical bringing you hot takes or toast. And today's question your hot take BYU Utah tonight. Who would have won? Obviously, it won't be played, but it was scheduled for tonight. Who would have prevailed? Who would have had bragging rights? Who would have been victorious? Do the Utes extend the streak to double digits? Or do the Cougars, with a third-year quarterback, and the Utes breaking in a new quarterback, do the Cougars break through and ride to victory? What happens? You know, obviously we'll never know, but... uh... Utah breaking in a new quarterback who actually has more experience than, than the right. third quarter, third year's quarterback. This really pains me that this isn't uh, tonight because I always felt like the NBA would come back and the Jazz season is concluded. And I'm melancholy about the Jazz season not being able to be continued. And when I turn on the game tonight with the Clippers and Rockets, I'll feel a tinge of sadness, which uh, at the way I am now uh, – I feel a tinge of sadness when every season ends uh, because, you know, we get so excited for them. It doesn't really matter what the season is. And so to not have it be here tonight will really, really bother me. And I, cause I feel like this is truly one of the great robberies in sports in all of sports and college football is such a big deal. Uh, and I think it ranks right there. And I like to feel like I have a, a form of ownership in this rivalry because you know, during the 70s and 80s, it was dominated by one team. And I know you go way back, way back, that the Utes dominated. I understand I can look at the media guides and see the scores way back when and whatnot. But in terms of the modern-day rivalry, it really didn't kick in to the levels that it is and taken off from Utah's perspective until I was here. Not that I had anything to do with it. That's not the point. But I feel like I grew up in the rivalry a little bit because it wasn't much of a rivalry before. It was always one-sided for many, many years, for, for two decades. And then, you know, when Ron McBride gets here, give him a couple of years to build it up, and around 92, 93, and we know 93, they go down there, right, and win, and, and this was, then it really took off. And I got to see this rivalry firsthand and had been to many of the games in football and basketball and really, really appreciate it as an outsider. And to not have it, to me, after all this time, we've been doing this for months, it's like it is really real now that, man, there's not going to be college football to the level we knew it. You know, it's something that we do every single year at this time, and it's not here. And it's a shame because – I think it's obvious that BYU would have won in probably a blowout. That is your hot take, and you backdoored it (laughs) on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Who do you think would have won? There isn't, Brooks says, there isn't one thing to indicate that anything would have been different. It would have been 10 in a row. A long time ago, I read a thing that uh, always pick the team that's on a streak and ride the streak. I would have picked Utah. I would have gone into it with more doubt than I've gone into it with most years. I didn't go into it with any doubt last year. Uh, I would have gone into it with more doubt, but I, I would have picked Utah. 
So then every year until the streak is over, you'll pick Utah. Yeah, unless there's something that uh, something really unusual. And really, right now, sitting here off the top of my head, I can't even tell you what it would be. Um, you know, Utah had uh, multiple quarterback injuries in summer camp. You know, something like that. It would, it would take something pretty big because at this point, they have some built-in advantages. And they've capitalized on him. And despite the fact that uh, Kyle tries not to make a big deal of it, I think he tries not to make a big deal of it to the point that it's clearly a big deal. And so if he's going to have his guys ramped up for it, and if they've got these built-in recruiting advantages and all that kind of stuff, and he's already shown that he can put together a long winning streak against him, yeah, I'll, I'll keep picking him. And Why maybe maybe the thing I'd pick against him, maybe the thing I'd pick against him is... Um, uh, he retires and a new coach comes in. You know, what does that look like? That could be anything, you know. I mean, who? we'll have to see when we get there. What, what does the roster look like as that happens? Is it somebody who's steeped in the rivalry and the tradition and all that or somebody who isn't? You know, have to figure out that when we get there. Why do you think he doesn't make a big deal about it? I think he does. You think he makes a big deal of it? Oh, yeah. Okay. I think he tries not to, but I, I think he does make a big deal of it. I mean, we I had players think, say he gets them revved up. You know, we're I not going to lose. He doesn't these guys. try to. Really? Yeah. He doesn't come out and say, "This is a big deal. This is a huge rivalry game. We got to get this." You can say whatever you want. I don't care. But that it's what you do when he's walking up the ramp down at the end, holding up nine fingers. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's making a statement, this is a big yeah, deal. Yes, it is clearly a big deal. And and just watching him go over to the Utah section when they're in, the, uh, in Provo, uh, you know, he does that to an extent on the road. I've been with him on the road many, many times. Uh, but it, there's more gusto there. Yeah, it clearly matters to him. It, it clearly is a big deal. He relishes beating those guys. I mean, they. I think there's a strong distaste for BYU. Now, not not Kalani and and uh, A Rod's on his staffs. So anybody else? Is other? No, nah, he's known Tom forever. I don't think he has a strong. Uh, I, I think they were like roommates. Yeah, I don't something. think he has a strong distaste for they Tom. They were teammates and roommates. Yeah, he's but they certainly were teammates. Yeah. So the fan. The fan base, it's more the fan base and what the the concept. I mean, the previous coaching staff, okay, so there was some tension in the room. (laughs) Oh, he hated Bronco. (laughs) Quite clear on that. (laughs) We could all feel that. Yeah, I believe that they thought, when I say they, it's the whole Whittingham clan thought that he played up the religion and the righteousness and made them feel like... They're a bunch of heathens when they're Kyle's kids are going on missions and doing the things that, you know, whatever you would identify as uh, Latter-day Saints who go to church every week and do their thing. And that really, really got under their skin big time. And the Max Hall comment got uh, under their skin big time, big time. And there's 20 other incidences I can recite that uh, have have been said to me that I'll just leave alone for now, but yeah, I think that I think he makes a big deal of it. I don't think he goes crazy. You can't go crazy now when it's your first game and you've got 
a lot of times that's their toughest non-conference yeah, game. It's kind of like a mix. They got all those conference games, but I think it's a big deal to them. I think it's kind of a mix. You know, instead of playing it as the second game, you know, when it's the first game, you can point to it and prepare for it all through the off season, which can make it bigger. As opposed to the second game, when you're going to beat up on somebody in the big sky, but you're supposed to go with the whole routine about well, one week at a time and. We're really focused on North Dakota State. Again, you can say whatever you want. I don't right. really care what you say. The, the, say what 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 you need to say to be politically correct. But the, this is a big game to this this coaching staff uh, to the point where we know we have been told that it's actually too big of a game to the point where they didn't even want to play it anymore. And yet, they continue to play it. They have to. Yeah, and that's, and we we literally know. <laughs> you and I know. We do. We've been told about that in that situation. So, yeah, I think it's a big deal. But I do think that if BYU wanted to win, this was their year. It's not just the quarterback. It's uh, the, all the defensive guys. Because I, I think they, if they would play, I think they would be okay at quarterback. You know, the bar, um, conservatively, they would be okay. But it's the other guys. that If I would look, look at reasons why BYU would win, it would be, from the Utah perspective, it wouldn't be, well, they got a new quarterback. It would be, no, they don't have the running back. Uh, they've got all sorts of question marks on defense. Yes. Now they usually reload. I understand that, but but they don't usually have to reload everything all at once. Yeah, I mean they had such a phenomenal team last right. year, which is why the game was never really in doubt. And all these guys who are going to play in the NFL speak for itself. And so maybe they'll end up with guys playing in the NFL. But those guys uh, were they NFL were known. Ready. They were known commodities and yeah. NFL ready. And they, it right. was there really wasn't much doubt. Utah was loaded going into they that game last year. They could have been in the NFL last yeah. year if they chose. So who would you have picked this year? I would have picked the Utes. I just said I would pick BYU. Yo, you can, I didn't know when you said that if you were screwing around or if you were serious about it. I didn't know if that was your real pick. You would have, you would have picked the streak to be broken. Yeah, because if they're ever going to get them, it, it was going to be now. Yeah. All right, we got more reaction coming in. We will get to that, and then we will run this past Riley Jensen coming up at 8 o'clock. Stay with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. And the head coach of the Naval Academy, Ken Niamatololo. Take us back to that moment where you found out that BYU'd be the opener for your football squad. I knew that there would be a team that would have the resources to make sure that their team and their staff was safe. So I just brought up to our AD, how about BYU? He said, I'll get back to you. He must have had Tom's number on speed dial or something because he called me back within a couple hours later. Tom, I like, whoa, that was pretty quick. I have great response. Respect for them, Kosataki, the program, their players, the type of young men they have. They're similar to our young men, great kids, great people. I know what the school stands for. I have to make sure that our team's ready to play a really good football team that's got a lot of returners coming back on their team. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. You know, I've been thinking about Donovan Mitchell here of late, and... One of the names that I thought, you know, how great can Donovan Mitchell become? And after this past few weeks, 
I, I've recalculated, and now it's way up there. And one of the names that came to my mind was Steve Nash. Not necessarily the same type of player, but I think guys like Nash would be a themselves would be a different player today than when they played. You know, we talk about Stockton shooting more. Certainly, now Stockton's going back. We're going back 20 years since he played. Nash is more recent. But even in the time that Nash has left the game, when he was in his prime with Phoenix, to now, the game has changed dramatically. And that's not nearly as long back as Stockton. And I think Nash clearly would shoot more himself. So I was thinking about this. It's funny that Nash's name, I mean, I had no idea that he was interested in coaching until Yach just blurted in my ear during the break that that's uh, what Adrian was putting out there. But I'm thinking, can Mitchell be the level of Steve Nash? And my answer as I, comp- as I um, what am I looking for, as I contemplated this in my mind, the answer is resoundingly came, kept coming back to me, yes, he can have that kind of impact even as a shorter guy. And Nash was a two-time MVP. I was going to say, MVP, MVP. And that's what I believe now with Mitchell. Nash was at the forefront of the... the three-point shot, the revolution, you know, the Suns played fast. He shot a very high percentage. He's a career 43% three-point shooter. He was a, he was a very good shooter. Um, but, you know, that whole concept of you have the ball in your hands all the time, which makes you a quote-unquote point guard, uh, but the way you play makes you a scoring guard. Uh, but at the same time, that doesn't slow you down from piling up the assists. It becomes a question of, well, if you're on the court, why wouldn't we put the ball in your hands because you give us a major advantage? And so he had a bunch of double-digit assist seasons where he was averaging 10 or 11 assists a game. Uh, right. But at the same time, he was not shy around that three-point line, and he was uh, very efficient at it. He was but, awesome. And I think the thing we really remember for is the this search dribble, right? He would drive to the hoop, but that didn't involve automatically a pass or a shot, which until him, that's what everybody, that's how everybody played. But with him, he would loop back around, keep the dribble, and uh, you know, and find Stoudemire with this kind of late run, this late cut, and and everyone have their back turned by then because they're looking at Nash and Stoudemire come flying through and get a dunk. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that. Stoudemire and Marion had their best years in Phoenix with Steve Nash. And I think that how does that apply to Durant and Kyrie Irving? So Nash had been a consultant with the Warriors. He'd seen Steve Kerr as a former player on high-level teams and how he handled the club. He develops a personal relationship on some level with Durant. Durant develops some level of trust with him. It's clear Durant had some input into this, right? I mean, it's... It's pretty clear that these two had a bond, and they're going to play off of that and try to recreate a little bit of what was going on at Golden State. Because yeah, obviously, and, and they'll probably they be both pretty good. Yeah, and in, in, in the NBA, and maybe in all levels, but certainly in the NBA, you got to have the horses. And we can put all the plaudits on Steve Kerr that we want, and I'm fine with that. But they got Durant. You've got to have the horses. Even with the, uh, the coming back from the Achilles, they've got Kevin Durant. He'll still be tall, he'll still have a high release, and he'll still shoot over people. Right. How well and he'll so move, we'll see. But They're going to have a good foundation, so why not go there when you're going to have two guys coming back? And they got some other guys that you know are decent, so you're not – totally starting from scratch. It's not like the slew of never-ending merry-go-round of coaches that go to Sacramento, <laughs> which just 
completed its 14th year with not in the postseason, which is so freaking mind-boggling to me. And Vladi just resigned, and Peja just resigned. So here we are again. You know, starting uh, over. I, I, yeah, with so many starting overs in Sacramento, it's like, my goodness gracious, probably those fans were hoping the team moved and Chris Webber didn't resign because it's torture. At least they would have gotten over it. <laughs> but so you got to have the horses, and Steve Nass going to have a couple horses with some other guys, some decent other players. So they should fairly be they should be fairly competitive, and that's good for him. And and that's what he wants to do. Have at it. You know, there's been opportunities for guys they get bored sitting around they want these challenges and they're competitive and so you can see that but i really think that mitchell can be a modern day steve nash dj and pk steve young steve young steve nash that'd be a story steve nash is the new head coach of the brooklyn nets Woj tweeting out a four-year contract nash to brooklyn all right when we come back college football. Riley Jensen, our college football insider. Stay with us.